invite you all to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 31. Uh, We're getting close to concluding this series in Deuteronomy. We have this week and next week. Uh, Let me remind you that uh, our Christmas Eve services are on um, the 24th at 4 and 6. And we will have no worship services uh, on the 25th. And so please join us on the 24th. Uh, we'll be here at 4 and 6 and ready to worship together. Great time to invite friends or family or neighbors or anybody. It's just a good time to, to reach out. So make sure you don't come alone. Bring somebody with you. And um, we'll see you on the 24th. We also have uh, just a couple other quick announcements. Tomorrow night, there'll be no youth group. Instead, they're going to go uh, out with the group that's caroling, and that's open to all ages, the caroling is. And so if you want to join us for caroling, we're going to meet tomorrow in the uh, U-Haul parking lot at 630, and then from there, hit some of the, the communities around there. So we'd love to have you. Um, we have songbooks. All the words are written down for you. You don't have to worry about that. Um, just come and be ready to, to spread some Um, Christmas cheer and ultimately spread the love of Christ. So we'd love to have you for that. Next July, uh, we're planning a trip to Malawi, Africa, and we're going to take a team over there. We're going to go see uh, some of those wells that we've been drilling and the medical centers that we've uh, been partnering with some local folks there. We're also going to do, well, we're going to do a lot of ministry in the villages throughout our time there. And so if you're interested in going on a mission trip next summer, we'd love to have you consider that one. Um, it is a longer and more expensive trip than some, and so that's something to be aware of. It's 10 days, and I know that eliminates a lot of people because you can't get that many consecutive days off work. But if you can, I would love to have you consider that trip. Uh, you can reach out to me, and I'll get you the application. And if you have any questions or want more details, I'd be happy to let you know those as well. All right, that should have given you time to find Deuteronomy 31. I'm going to read 1 through 23. Uh, We have a lot of scripture today, uh, but that's okay. There's a lot of great stuff in here, and um, we are getting close to the end of the book. We're going to cover this chapter today, and then next week we're going to look at chapter 34, which concludes the book. And so I hope you've, you've been benefiting as we've gone through Deuteronomy. Let's look at 31 together. It says, Then Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, saying, I am now 120 years old. I can no longer act as your leader. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will drive them out. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you as the Lord has said. The Lord will deal with them as he did Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them over to you and you must do exactly as I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their ancestors. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Verse 9 says, Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant. 
and to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years at the appointed time in the year of debt cancellation during the festival of shelters when all Israel assembles in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses, you are to read this law aloud before all Israel. Gather the people, men, women, dependents, and resident aliens within your city gates so that they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow all the words of this law. Then their children who do not know the law will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The Lord said to Moses, the time of your death is now approaching. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting so that I may commission him. When Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud and the cloud stood at the entrance to the tent. Verse 16 says, the Lord said to Moses, you are about to rest with your ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will abandon me and break the covenant I have made with them. My anger will burn against them on that day. I will abandon them and hide my face from them so that they will become easy prey. Many troubles and afflictions will come to them. On that day, they will say, haven't these troubles come to us because our God is no longer with us? I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all the evil they have done by turning to other gods. Therefore, Write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the Israelites. Have them sing it so that this song may be a witness for me against the Israelites. When I bring them into the land, I swore to give their ancestors a land flowing with milk and honey. They will eat, they will eat their fill and prosper. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenant. And when, my trouble, when, when many troubles and afflictions come to them, this song will testify against them because their descendants will have not forgotten it. For I know what they are prone to do, even before I bring them into the land I swore to give them. So Moses wrote down this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I swore to them, and I will be with you. Let's pray as we consider this text together. Father, as we look at Deuteronomy 31 together this morning, we ask for wisdom, we ask for insight, we, we pray as always that we would know more about you and more about what you require of us and how we might serve you faithfully. God, let us learn from this passage today the things that you desire for us to take from this place, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Big passage. A lot of things going on in here. A lot of things we could talk about today. I, I kind of want to hone in on some of the ideas uh, about leadership that we find in this passage. And the reason that I do that, well, there's several reasons that I want to approach this text this way. Uh, one, some of the other themes that are in here are things that we've already talked about in previous passages. And, and so there's a bit of a process of elimination. But two, and, and more importantly, is the idea that the church... I want to talk about the church globally and also the church locally here at Redemption. The church is in desperate need of leaders. Like much of the world today, we are suffering from a lack of willing and qualified leaders. 
It's a tough time to lead. Those who choose to lead will inevitably be attacked from all angles. It's the spirit of, spirit of our culture today to, to despise leaders, to want to tear down leaders. You've probably heard of the crab pot phenomenon, and, and that's this phenomenon that occurs if you put a bunch of crabs in a pot together, you don't need to put a lid on it because anytime one of them starts to climb up the side of the pot, the other ones pull it down. That's the age that we're living in. We don't, we, we don't desire for people to, to rise above the rest and lead. And so we are, we are living in a time that is desperate for leaders, but we don't just need any leaders. We need godly leaders. We need leaders who understand the assignment from the Lord. We need leaders who lead according to the pattern set by Jesus, which is to lead through servanthood and humility. We need leaders. We need people who will step up, who will bear the weight and the responsibility of ministry. We don't need, we can survive, let me say, without more spectators. But we will not survive, I'm speaking of the church, we will not survive without more leaders. So I want to talk about leadership today. There are a few things in this text. And uh, again, I, I, I realized there was a lot of reading up front there. And there, we'll look at these passages, this passage again in chunks. And so there'll, there'll be a decent amount uh, more reading to come. But there are some really important principles that I think we can pull from this as we look at this transition from Moses, who's been leading the Israelites now for decades as we look at this transition from Moses to Joshua, who is, is tasked with this very important assignment of leading the people of Israel into the promised land. The first thing you see on the handout is this. Leaders will change, but God is always with his people. Leaders will change, but God is always with his people. It's... It's inevitable as we go through life that we'll experience changes in leadership in the areas of our lives that are important, whether that's work or organizations that you're a part of outside of work or whether that's the church, sometimes within our own families. There are leadership changes. That means, you know, some people come and they lead for a certain period of time in our lives and then they're gone and somebody else replaces them. Leaders change. This is, this is a huge transition that the Israelites are about to go through. Every Israelite alive has only ever known Israel led by Moses at this point. He's been their only leader. He, ha he has been the one who God raised up to deliver them from Egypt. He has been the one who has taken them for the past 40 years through the wilderness and now the time has come to change leadership. This is what it says in verse one. Then Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel saying, I am now 120 years old. That's quite a run. I can no longer act as your leader. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan. You might remember earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, we dealt with with why Moses wasn't going into the Jordan and his request of the Lord that he would get to go in, that the Lord denied. And he's, he's reminding them now, I'm not going with you. Verse three says, the Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you. 
He will destroy these nations before you, and you will drive them out. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, as the Lord has said. Just think about verse 3 there. First, he says, it's the Lord your God who will be the one to cross ahead of you. And then he says, it'll be Joshua who will be the one who will cross ahead of you. In other words, the human agent is changing, but the thing that is not changing is that it's never really been Moses that was leading his people. It, was, it had been God who was the ultimate leader of Israel, and that's not changing. He's still the leader of his people. But the human agent has, is, is shifting now from Moses to Joshua. Verse 4 says, The Lord will deal with them as he did Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. These are, these are um, nations that they had previously entered into conflict with, and the Lord gave them success in battle. And just in case anybody's thinking, well, that's because we had a good leader. It's because we had Moses as our leader. Moses is clear. Now, that was the Lord, and that same Lord will be with you when you encounter the nations who are living on the land you're going to occupy. Verse 5, the Lord will deliver them over to you, and you must do to them exactly as I've commanded you. So he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them, for the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. He is, God's leadership over his people is the one constant. The human agents change. The, the, the face that you see might, might change over time, but the thing that remains constant is that God is always with his people. He promises in both Old and New Testaments to stick with them, that he will not leave them or abandon them. This is good news for us as members of his church because leaders come and go. Lord willing, not too often. I think there is a health when there's stability in leadership within the church. There's, there's significant evidence to point to the long, the, a connection between the longevity of a pastor and the health of a church. It's not certainly not a perfect one-to-one correlation, but Typically, healthy, healthy churches have, have leaders that stay and remain and, and grow with the congregation that they are leading. But regardless, there's one ultimate leader, and that's the Lord. And he's not going anywhere. And he, <clears throat> he will stay with his people. Through thick and through thin, he will lead his people. Next thing you see on the handout is this. Leaders must lead with courage, but only toward what God has commanded. Leaders are called to have courage. Leaders, leaders there, are, there are times when, when leaders, especially the leaders of God's people, need to lead with boldness. But it's a courage and a boldness that is rooted in understanding the mission that God has given to his people. It's not a, it's not a courage or a boldness that comes from strength of personality. 
It's not a courage or a boldness that that comes from having an exciting vision. It's a courage or a boldness that comes from knowing what God wants his people to do. There's a difference. There are courageous leaders out, out, well, within and outside of the church who, who lead courageously because they have a lot of confidence in their ideas or in their ability to lead. And they might lead in any which way. And they might get there. They may succeed out of strength or out of competency and, and, and personal, well, let's, let's say confidence and the ability to take people somewhere. But that's not what we need in the church. We don't just need we don't just need leaders with a lot of charisma. We don't just need leaders who have the ability to get people excited. We need leaders who understand the mission. And our t- Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, leaders within the church, their responsibility is to join Jesus in building his church. You may accomplish, you may be able through the, through the strength of your own gifting or personality, you may be able to lead people to other things, but those are not the, the mission that we are given by God. Verse seven, Deuteronomy 31 says, Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give their ancestors. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Do you see how at the outset of Joshua's leadership, he's given the assignment. The assignment is to continue to take these people toward what God had begun with Moses. It's not, it's not like Israel's like, hey, you know, when Moses was our leader, we were heading towards the promised land and we were gonna go dispossess uh, these seven nations whom God was ready to judge. And this, we, we had a clear pl- plan, but you know what? Joshua's our leader. Now let's see what he comes up with. Let's see what he wants us to do. Let's, let's see what his vision is for the nation of Israel. No, God had given them a mission Moses faithfully moved God's people towards that mission, and now it's Joshua's turn to do the same. He must do so with courage. If Joshua had stood up and he said, hey, you know what, that land that we were heading to is pretty decent, but there's some land over here that's probably gonna be easier to take possession of, and it's not so bad either. Why don't we just go over here and we can still worship God and we can, we can still be known as his people and do all the other things that he commanded. But, but let's go this, that he would have no reason to have courage because he's not, he's not leading in what God has commanded his people to do. But because he is doing what God commanded, he has every reason to be bold and courageous. He knows that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. What, what happened with those previous nations and the kings, Sihon and Og, what happened with them was to, to prepare the Israelites that, hey, you're going into a land that is possessed by nations, all of whom are bigger than you and badder than you. And they've got stronger armies. 
They're more prepared for this than you are. But you have the Lord on your side. He is leading you to this. Leaders need to understand what we're leading towards. Leaders need to know what the mission that Jesus has given to his church is. They need to understand the great commission to go and make disciples, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as long as the leaders within God's church are leading towards that end, they have every reason to be bold and to have courage. But we don't always see that. We see within the church, we see leaders who who have other ideas of what the church ought to be. And they try to get creative and and they try to be culturally relevant in ways that take them take them in the body of Christ away from the mission, and those leaders have no reason for courage. God is not with them in those endeavors. But when you're leading towards what God has commanded, he's with you. And you have every reason for boldness and courage. Next thing you see on the handout is this. Leaders are responsible for setting the spiritual temperature. Leaders are responsible for setting the spiritual temperature. Might be a good time to to just clarify. When I talk about leaders, I'm not just talking about the pastors of the church. I'm talking about people who lead in any area of ministry. I'm talking to you as you lead in your own home or at your workplace. I'm talking to you as you lead your children. I'm talking to you as you lead within your community. And in all of those leadership roles, there's a responsibility for setting the spiritual temperature. What I mean by setting the spiritual temperature is um, perhaps can be understood between the difference between a thermometer, which merely reflects, measures and reflects the temperature of a room, and a thermostat, which is responsible for establishing the temperature in the room. And if, if you live with somebody, as I do, who has a very different natural body temperature than you, you know the importance of the thermostat. The greatest battles in the Neil household take place over this little three-inch by four-inch piece of real estate in our home. The thermostat is, is what is going to dictate how, how warm or cool it is in your home. And, and that's the kind of responsibility that leaders have when it comes to the spiritual temperature. We are not simply to reflect the temperature of the culture that we live in. That's a dangerous idea. We need to recognize as leaders in our homes, as leaders in our workplaces, in our communities, and as leaders in the church, we need to recognize the weaknesses of the climate or the culture that we live in, and we need to to change the setting and bring the temperature of the rest of the room around us up to that spiritual temperature. Moses gives instructions to to not only to Joshua, but to the priests. The priests had a very, uh, the, the priests who were the tribe of Levi, 
they'll be described here as the sons of Levi, had a very important responsibility in Israel. They were the ones who were to, to lead Israel in spiritual worship. So it says in verse 9 that Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests. This law would most likely be a reference to the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we've been looking at Deuteronomy, which has 34 chapters. And those other books are of comparable size, some larger. And this is what Moses says. It says in verse 10, he commanded them at the end of every seven years at the appointed time in the year of debt cancellation during the festival of shelters, when all Israel assembles in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses, you're to read this law aloud before all Israel. What a scene, what a vision to, to imagine all of Israel come together during the, the Feast of Shelters. They, they assemble together and, and the priests are to get up and they are to read the entire first five books of the Old Testament through the Israelites. The reason for this the reason for this, if, if, if we look at verse 12, gather the people, men, women, dependents, and the resident aliens within your city gates so that they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow the words of this law. Then their children who do not know the law will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So there's... There's sort of a fail-safe here because this isn't the only time that they were to read the scriptures. In fact, parents, as, we, as we've seen in other places in Deuteronomy, parents are tasked with, with teaching their children the, the scriptures on an ongoing basis. They are to raise them up knowing the scriptures, but inevitably some of them aren't going to do that. And so there's this fail-safe here where at the very least, every seven years, all of Israel will be gathered together and perhaps these children who are being raised in homes where these commands are not being obeyed, they will have the opportunity then to hear the word of the Lord. And you can imagine there would be probably some pushback. If I were to say to you, I mean, if you were to be honest, when I was reading this 23 verses of Deuteronomy 31 this morning, how many of you thought, boy, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> this is really taking up a lot of time. Imagine if I, were to, if I would have stood up here to say, today and said, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna read the whole book of Genesis, all 50 chapters. Then when we're done with that, I'm gonna have somebody else come up and they're gonna read Exodus. Then when we're done with that, like imagine... We'd be here for, for several hours just hearing the word of the Lord read. So, so the, the leaders are, are inevitably going to receive some pushback. There's going to be people who say, you know what? We've done that before. We did that seven years ago. Everybody got kind of bored and there was a lot of people that were getting up and going to the bathroom and a lot of people were getting restless. Why don't we, why don't we mix it up this year? Maybe we just read Genesis this year. And next time we get together, we'll read Exodus. But that's not the task that God had given to the leaders. They are not to just reflect the temperature of the room. They are to set the spiritual temperature. They're to set the pace. They are to lead the way in obeying the commands that God has given to his people. 
That's a tough task. Difficult. It's a weighty responsibility. Because leaders are just like everybody else. They face the same temptations, the same tendencies to become apathetic. But God has placed on leaders a responsibility for setting the spiritual temperature. The health of God's church depends upon it. And so we need men and women who are willing to take on that responsibility. We need men and women who who see the direction that this generation is going and say, you know what? It's not really my gifting. It's not really my calling, but I want to get involved. I want to do something. And so maybe I'll step up and be a part of the children's ministry in some way. Or how can I serve? How can I serve the youth ministry? If nothing else, how can I pray for them and and lift them up? That's what it means to be a leader is to take on weight it's to take on responsibility. It's to take responsibility of people for people other than yourself and say, this matters. This counts. This is important. To not just let things happen, but to determine what is going to happen. That's what it means to set the spiritual temperature. Next, you'll see that leaders must prepare the next generation of leaders. Leaders are not only responsible for leading within their own generation, but they're responsible to prepare the next generation of leaders as well. One of the things that, that we've, I think, has, has been easy to observe over the past generation or so is that the church a generation ago had a lot of great leaders, but not all of those leaders adequately prepared the next generation of leaders. And so there was a little bit of a lack of of transfer, a little bit of a lack of passing the baton, but that wouldn't happen here in Deuteronomy 31 because it says, the Lord said to Moses, the time of your death is now approaching. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting so that I may commission him. When Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood at the entrance to the tent. So the tent of meeting is this place where Moses could go and he could meet with the Lord. He literally could go there, and in God's presence, often through a pillar of cloud, would dwell over this tent, and Moses would meet with the Lord. And there was, we're not given all of the details of the relationship that Moses had with Joshua, but if you pay close attention, you'll see that there are times when, when the Bible tells us that Joshua was right there with Moses, whether it was at the tent of the meeting or when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, Joshua journeyed up the mountain with him partway. And then he stopped and Moses continued on. And we get the impression that, that as Moses was leading the people that God had given him to lead, he made sure that this guy Joshua was by his side, learning how to lead, learning how to, to be the kind of leader that God requires for his people. And now the time has come to pass the baton. It's a sad reality to come to the end of your time of leadership and realize there's, there's no one to hand the baton to. You may have led well, you may have served well in your generation, but now 
your time is up. And there's nobody here to hand off this leadership responsibility to. It's, it's one of the things that's easy to forget in leadership. Because we don't like to think about you know, the time when we're not available or when we're not able to lead or when, you know, we don't like to think about a world without us. It, but we need to think that way. We need to think, man, something could happen to me at any moment, not to be morbid, but I have a responsibility. I, I, I have, there's a need to train up the next generation to ensure that when my generation is gone, the next generation is well-equipped at least as much as it is up to me. I was preaching this Friday night at the Sarver campus, and it hit me. It hit me that we were in that campus worshiping the Lord together, hearing the word of the Lord because of an intentional effort by a handful of people to train up other leaders. This wasn't necessarily a generational transfer, but it was this concept applied. I remember about probably two, two and a half years ago, we had a leadership meeting, all of the ministry leaders of redemption. And at that point, I think we were still meeting in Stewart Elementary. This was before COVID. This was before we had this building. This was before we had two services. It was just a small group of leaders. And we talked about what it would take to plant another church. I think we were probably no more than six months old. But we, we recognized that if we were ever going to do that, then we needed to be intentional now about reproducing ourselves. And I think of some of the leaders, I think of like Matt and Erica Adams who took that seriously and for the next two years, they were reproducing themselves in their children's ministry so that when it came time to start the Sarver campus, we have like a full team of leaders and people who are willing to serve in kids' ministry because they were training up people to do what they could do. Same thing with Greg and the worship team and many other areas of ministry. So we need not only to be thinking about the next generation, but we need to be thinking about if we're going to continue to multiply, if God is going to use us to take the gospel to other communities and to, to plant other churches, then how can, I, how can I help somebody do what I do so that if God calls me to go or if God sends them to go, then we're prepared at that time. Next thing you see on the handout is that leaders must be faithful to God regardless of the response of others. Leaders must be faithful to God regardless of the response of others. There's a really sort of sobering and sad transition here in chapter 31. What should be a time of celebration, what should be, what should be a time of of glorious reflection on what God has done so far. As Moses prepares to pass the baton, as, as Moses heads into his retirement, so to speak, instead of being able to look back and, and say, man, what, what God has done, and look at what a bright future we have ahead of us, this is what the Lord says to Moses in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, you are about to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves with the foreign gods of the land they're entering. 
They will abandon me and break the covenant I have made with them. My anger will burn against them on that day. I will abandon them and hide my face from them so that they will become easy prey. Many troubles and afflictions will come to them. On that day, they will say, haven't these troubles come to us because our God is no longer with us? I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all the evil they have done by turning to other gods. Then he says, he tells Moses to write down this song. And you're like, oh, wow, Moses' last act as the leader of God's people, is he going to write this great song, right? Was this going to be like a top 40 hit? Is he going to get like, is his family going to get all kinds of royalties? Is, is he, you know, they're going to take this thing on tour? What's hap- what kind of song is this? It must be a really great song. And then you read the song in chapters 32 and 33, and it's a song of how unfaithful God's people are and how he's surely going to judge them. And then he makes them learn it. They have to memorize it. And it must have been catchy because it sticks with them. Verse 19 says, Therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the Israelites. Have them sing it so that this song may be a witness for me against the Israelites. When I bring them into the land, I swore to give their ancestors a land flowing with milk and honey. They will eat their fill and, and prosper. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenant. And when many troubles and afflictions come to them, this song will testify against them because their descendants will not have forgotten it. Who's teaching their kids this song? Like, but, but this is what would happen. For I know what they are prone to do even before I bring them into the land I swore to give them. So Moses wrote down this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. This is, this is a tough way for Moses to go out. After, ev- after everything that he's been through, serving and leading God's people, and the times that he pled with God, he interceded with God on, on behalf of the Israelites so that God would not wipe them out, so that God would continue to do his work through them. And now he receives word that after you die, everything that you have fought for, over the past 40 years is going to result in them turning away from me. Poor guy's 120 years. I don't know if I ought to put that on him. <laughs> I think I ought to just let him die thinking this is all going to go great. Moses, is, Moses asked me, hey, what's going to happen after I die? I'd be like, yeah, you know, it's gonna, I think things are going to be okay. You know, I, I don't know that I would have let him die this way. But this is a sobering reminder that leading faithfully is no guarantee of a particular outcome. You need to know this, particularly if you're raising children or if you're leading in God's church. There's no guarantees of a particular outcome. But Moses was called to lead faithfully to God. Faithful and faithfulness to God, regardless of the response of the people. Now, if this is the end of the story, what's the point? If, if Moses is, did all of this only to die and have the people totally prostitute themselves to false gods, then what, the, what was the point? Why did it even matter? What, what, why should we even do this? 
but we know this isn't the end of the story. We know that Israel's unfaithfulness in the next generation is just one chapter in a long story that God is writing that eventually leads to the coming of the Savior of the world. Moses' faithfulness in his generation is a, a piece of the track that God is building upon which will arrive the Savior of the world. And so it's not just his faithfulness may have not produced the results in the next generation that Moses would have loved to have seen, but his faithfulness was used by God to carry out his plan of redemption so that not just Israel would be saved, but that all of mankind could be saved through the coming of Jesus Christ. We have to serve, we have to lead with that big picture in mind. We cannot, get, we cannot get distracted by the little things that are happening right in front of us right now. We have to have the big picture in mind. Faithfulness is, is demanded of those who lead because God has a plan much bigger than what we can see. Finally, leaders prepare themselves. The last thing I want to say from this text is that leaders prepare themselves to be ready when God calls on them. And I want to say this to everyone here who's listening, either online or in this room, who's not currently leading in an obvious way. Maybe you're in a season where you're not able to serve in the church. Maybe you're in a season where God has not given you a ton of influence on other people outside of the church. I mean, we're all leading somewhere. We're all influencing somebody somewhere. Don't get me wrong. But you don't have a specific leadership role. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be preparing yourself. Think of how long Joshua was the number two. He, he was by Moses' side, but for those 40-plus years, all of the leadership responsibility, the weight was on Moses. He was the one who, was, who, was, who, was, who had this, this weight and responsibility of leading God's people through the wilderness. And Moses just got to kind of like be the, the guy that hung around, or Joshua just got to be the guy that hung around Moses. There was a season of my ministry before planting this church, you know, well, actually for 16 years at Harvest, I was, I was the second preacher, I was the guy that preached if the lead preacher wasn't able to preach or wasn't going to be there for a week. And that was a lot of fun. It's always fun to come off the bench, throw a couple passes, score a touchdown, and sit back down, knowing that you don't have to lead the team week in and week out. And everybody's like, hey, that was really good. And you're like, yeah, I had a lot of time to prepare. <laughs> but it's different when you got to do it every week. And when the weight and responsibility of leading is on you, that just hits differently. But Joshua was preparing himself, and God was preparing Joshua. Verse 23 says, The Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous. For you will bring the Israelites into the land I swore to them, and I will be with you. When the time came, he was ready. He was ready. You can keep reading the story. If you go into the book of Joshua, you'll see God did just that. He was with Joshua Joshua was ready to lead. 
He had been prepared, and now it was time. You never know when God's going to call you to step up and lead in some particular way in his plan. So prepare yourself. Be ready. Be open to that call. Be open to what God might want to do through you as he builds his church. Sound good? All right, next week we'll wrap up the book of Deuteronomy. We'll look at, uh, we'll look at the last chapter. Really looking forward to spending Christmas Eve together. And then in the new year, we're going to get into uh, our core values as a church. We're going, to, we're going to kick off a Bible reading campaign that we're going to do in the new year. A lot of good stuff coming up in the next few weeks. So I look forward to that time with you. Let me pray and we will continue to worship. Father, your church is the most important thing on earth. There's nothing that comes even close in second place. There is no other organization. There is no other institution. There is no other parachurch ministry. There's there's nothing else on this earth that matters as much as your church. God, would you bless your church with leaders Leaders who understand the assignment. Leaders who understand what we are called to do. Leaders who love the gospel of Jesus Christ and would give their lives so that others might hear it and be saved. God, would you raise up among us here at Redemption many leaders. God, and would you send them out to do ministry in our community? Would you send them out to to plant other churches in our region? Would you send them out to be missionaries around the globe to take the word of God where it's most needed? God, I pray that you'd make this place an incubator for those who are called to serve in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would have your hand upon the leaders who are already serving, sustain them think of those who faithfully serve in our children's ministry think of those who are on this team or on this stage with me right now this team that's on the stage with me right now who get up earlier than everybody else every Sunday morning come in here and prepare to lead us in worship think of the men and the women that make sure the tech stuff's working I think of those who lead our outreach efforts who go out into the streets of our community and tutor kids and lead caroling and feed people and love on the lost God would you strengthen those who are serving would you strengthen those who are leading may the the gates of hell not prevail as you build your church here in Lower Borough and beyond God I know that there are people here today who are feeling a call to lead in some capacity. Some of them are considering full-time Christian ministry. Some of them are considering just getting involved here at the church in a volunteer capacity. Some of them know they just need to go home and lead. They need to lead their families better. Holy Spirit, would would you fill and empower those who are sensing that call today? you lead them to what you want them to do for your glory and your kingdom in Jesus name. Amen.